listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. So what I thought we'd do this morning in light of this incredible study that Pastor Ryan has introduced us on, uh, taking a fresh look at the Beatitudes, I thought this morning that we would, we would just take a deep breath. We'd just take a pause for a moment and kind of let this meal digest. So we've imagined being on this Jesus trail, on the Jesus way, becoming Christian, looking, taking one week at, at these incredible Beatitudes, which really kind of describe the values of the kingdom of heaven and who we're becoming in Christ. And so as we think about that, my question here this morning, what I want to think with you this morning, is how do we stay connected to Jesus? How, how do we stay in tune with what he's saying? How do we stay in step with the rhythm of Christ in our life? You know, I've uh, noticed in my own life that one of the most difficult things has not been marriage or parenting or finances or my job or ministry or even dealing with difficult people. It hasn't even been the, trying to navigate through this really treacherous political climate that we live in. All these things can be challenging and are important, but when it comes right down to it, uh, one of the most important things in my life has been developing a healthy rhythm through it all. A rhythm where the intentions of my heart and the activities of my day are in concert with one another. You might say I have really good intentions, but the rest of me is prone to wander from time to time. I can be easily distracted, focus on less important things. Can anybody relate to this? Yeah. yeah. And so, one of the most important things in the Christian life is developing a healthy consistent rhythm. So let me put it a different way. When I'm in sync with the Lord, when I have a sense of His rhythm and pace in my life, all these other things, they fall into place. And so how do we do this? How do we maintain a consistent rhythm in our walk with the Lord? How do we stay in sync with what God is doing? You know, if we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we see two primary rhythms that He both lived by and taught. We see the, the rhythm of rest and we see the rhythm of work. And so I want to think with you this morning about how we live in that delicate balance between rest and work. And so this is what I'm calling the rhythm of life. So this sermon was birthed out of conversation that I had with uh, Pastor Wade and Pastor Ryan and Daniel Simpson, Ben Birch, Steve Rios and Greg Steele. Uh, we've been meeting on Mondays for a long time. And we got on to talking about music and, and harmony and orchestration and, and how all of this was such a great illustration of, of our walk with the Lord, of our, of our rhythm with the Lord. And we regularly have great conversations on Monday, right, Daniel? And so I didn't think anything of it. But then when Pastor Ryan asked if I would speak this weekend, he goes, man, it'd be great if you could talk about that. And so here's my disclaimer. If you hear anything at all this morning, if the Lord challenges you, if he encourages you, then praise Jesus. If not, then you can blame Ryan. 
So God is a God of rhythm. If we just look at creation, God created in six days. He worked six days and then he rested. And we look all around creation, we see patterns and we see cycles that repeat. The daily rising of the sun and the setting of the sun every single day. In, in nature, we see the cycles of seed time and harvest. We see four seasons we, as we're coming and transitioning winter and spring and summer and fall. We see in the animal kingdom the, the cycles of reproduction and new life. God created time. And we understand time in terms of years and months and weeks and hours and minutes and seconds. Right? God has he's ingrained, he's built this time inside each of us to be a guide. It, it's dependable, it's constant. We come back to it again and again and again. And so this regular rhythm that God has built into our life as we come back to it, and if we want to encounter God, because he's a God of rhythm, it only makes sense that we encounter God through a regular rhythm in our own life. And so maybe Greg Steele is right when he says that maybe God was a drummer. <laughs> in music, the most important thing about rhythm is, is beat one, knowing where beat one is. And so, is this thing, there we go. And so, for example, in music, we have 4-4, four, four, right? This is, our, this is our tempo. This is our, our time signature. Four beats in a measure, and a quarter note has one beat. And so as, as the conductor is conducting, one, two, three, four, the musicians begin to understand this. They're grounded in beat one. It comes again and again and again. It becomes constant. It becomes predictable. This is how a musician moves from one measure to the next and through one passage to the next. It's constant. And after a while, musicians don't even know. They're not even thinking about the tempo. It just becomes second nature. It becomes part of their routine. And so in music, beat one accomplishes two things. It centers the musicians to the conductor, and it also centers the musicians to each other. Christy read uh, uh, from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Let's just close our eyes and think about those words. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Aren't those words comforting? And it sounds so easy, doesn't it? Just to be still and to know that I am God. Sounds so simple. Then why is it so hard to be still? Why is it so hard to know, to be certain? Our lives aren't still, are they? Our lives are busy. Right? Our lives are packed with constant stimulus and activity all day long. You know, we've got pings and we've got alerts and we've got text messages and, and we're just bombarded with activity all the time. It's hard to be still for more than a minute before something interrupts us. Our world is busy. It's hard to be still in a busy world. And on top of that, we're inundated with information. Right? We're bombarded 24-7 with news and commentary and opinions and rants. Information overload. 
In about 15 seconds, I can Google more information on the internet than was contained in my dad's 30-volume Encyclopedia Britannica set. And so if knowledge came through information, then we should all be savants. And somehow in the midst of all this, God calls us to know. He wants us to, to be certain to know that he is God. I think that this knowing that the psalmist is talking about doesn't have much to do with acquiring information or facts, but it's something much deeper than that. In our frenzied culture, we're offered busyness instead of stillness, and we're offered information over relationship. There's a similar invitation in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 11, these familiar words. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. So I want to refer to this divine rest that Jesus offers and this stillness and this knowing of God this morning as beat one. This is ground zero. This is, this is the place where, where we come before our great conductor. This is the place where we're reset and restored and readied for what is next. This is beat one. Amen? Okay, so I want to expand on this a little bit. Right? Because beat one is not only where we find our rest, but beat one is also where God readies us for what is next anticipating the next measure, anticipating the next passage. It's where he prepares us for the work that he's called us all to do. It's in beat one where he not only restores us, but he prepares us for the work. So what is this work? If we look at uh, Ephesians chapter two, Paul says that we're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. So God has a work for us to do. God has prepared that work for us to do. And as we do that work, he is revealed. His masterpiece is revealed as we do that work. So I want us to use our imaginations this morning. We're going to go on a little musical journey. And I want you to imagine that this masterpiece of God is a piece of music. It's a symphony. God has written a symphony. And this isn't just any old tune. This is God's masterpiece. Of all God's creations, this is his crown jewel, his magnum opus. This is God's masterpiece. And he has revealed himself in this masterpiece. This is how God makes himself known, is through this symphony. He composed this symphony, and it is God's expression of love to his creation, to those who have been created in his image. I wouldn't be surprised if you were to ask God the name of this symphony, that he wouldn't just simply answer love. God has written a symphony, and he has simply called it love. Now, I want us to imagine four key players in this symphony. So we talked about the first one. God is the composer. He's written this beautiful piece of music. Now, the second key character or member or character in this symphony is the orchestra. You and I, we're all part of this orchestra. We're all part of this symphony. Symphony is an interesting word in music for you non-musicians out there. 
Symphony both refers to the piece of music, so we have Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, but it also refers to the musicians who play it, right? A symphonic orchestra. And so you could say, like this, you could say, I'm going to the symphony to hear the symphony play a symphony, right? Are you with me? Have I lost you? So God has written this symphony and we're all players in the symphony. It makes no difference this morning if you can consider yourself musical or not. As you can see, we're all getting a bit of a music lesson here this morning. And so as members of the symphony, we've all been given a, a very unique instrument to play. This is, uh, there's, there's no two instruments exactly alike. They're as unique as your fingerprints or your DNA. God has made us each this instrument, this unique expression as part of his masterpiece. So there's the first two characters. God's the composer, we're the orchestra. God has two more roles in this picture as well. God is also orchestrator and he's conductor. So from the, from the music to get from the composer's head to the player's hands, the instruments need parts to play. So this is the job of the orchestrator. The master orchestrator understands exactly how each instrument was designed and created understands how it works together with the other instruments, understands the strengths and the weaknesses of each instrument, and assigns the perfect piece of music for that instrument to play. Some of these instruments play the melody, and you'll notice them, and they stand out. Others are more supporting roles. They're the interesting parts. These are the parts that give the music dimension and depth and color and you don't notice these ones as much, but I tell you, take away those parts from the score and you lose its scope. You lose the skeleton. You lose the structure. So the melodies that sit so effortlessly on top are supported by these other parts. In many ways, you could say that each of these individual parts and instruments are masterpieces of themselves. Each one of them has been fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of them has its own temperament and diversity and personality. Every one of them reveals something unique about their creator. But here's the really important part here. None of these instruments are complete on their own. As beautiful and wonderful as they might be, they were designed to be part of something greater. They were designed to be part of an ensemble, of an orchestra. And it's only when they come together that you begin to see that God is revealing who he is through this. It's the coming together of these parts that happen under the direction of our fourth character, and he's the conductor. So the conductor is the vessel by which the composer's single piece of music expressed through these many, many diverse parts come alive through the musicians. This all happens under the conductor's baton and direction. Apart from him, they're just notes on the page. But you bring them before the conductor and all of a sudden the, the music is alive. The intention that was, that was always dreamed up in the composer for the first time is realized and ears hear, eyes see. This is God's masterpiece. There's a, another passage in Ephesians. 
later on in, in uh, chapter 4. He makes the whole body. I'm just going to take liberty here, and I'm going I'm to change that to the orchestra. He makes the whole orchestra fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body orchestra is healthy and growing and full of love. This is God's masterpiece. This is his revelation. This is him revealing who he is in love. There's a, a great movie. I don't know if you saw it, Amadeus. Anybody seen Amadeus? I think it was around in the 80s. We watched it in college. And it's a story of Mozart, probably one of the greatest composers who's ever lived. But it's told through the eyes of his self-appointed rival, Antonio Salieri. Antonio Salieri. And Salieri is, he's envious. He watches Mozart from afar. And as he sees Mozart, he's just amazed at how effortless this music comes out of him. And one day, in one scene, he gets a hold of Mozart's works in, in progress. He has a folder full of pieces of music that he hasn't released yet, that he hasn't, he hasn't finished yet. And he's amazed as he's thumbing through these parts, these pieces of music. He's astonished. He says this, astounding beyond belief, he says. These were, no first, these were first and only drafts of music, yet they showed no corrections of any kind. He has simply written down music already finished in his head, page after page of it, as if he were just taking dictation. And music, music finished as no music has ever finished. Displace one note and you have dissonance. Displace one phrase and the structure would fall. Here was the very voice of God. Salieri is describing what very, very few musicians ever realize. The single musical idea expressed through many, many diverse parts and then coming together in such a fluid way that the listener is unaware of the different parts but only a single musical idea. I want to suggest only God can do this. This is the way God does it. This is his masterpiece. In creation, in love, as he create, created all of us in his image. But he wants himself to be known. He wants to be made known. And so what does he do? He creates this masterpiece of life. And he gives us all a part to play in it. And as, and as many different and peculiar and strange and diverse and different people come together. And come together under his direction. In his temple. It reveals God's perfect love. Only God can produce unity through diversity. Amen? Amen? We live in a very divided, very diverse culture right now. And people are scrambling for a solution. God says, give me that diversity. Give me those differences. Give me all those peculiar, strange people. And watch what I do. Let them be part of my orchestra. Let them be part of my masterpiece. They were created for this. This is how God makes himself known. This is his masterpiece. In uh, John, Gospel of John, in chapter 17, Jesus prays. It's the other Our Father, the other Jesus prayer. And uh, I think I have it starting at verse 23. I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up to verse 22. Listen to this. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me 
so they, may be, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is the Jesus way that we've been talking about. This is God's peculiar, different, countercultural, upside-down way of doing things. His own, his own way of doing things. And so as we come before him, just as we are, just as God made us, we all become part of his masterpiece. Amen. Amen. So let me, let me try to bring all this together. I want us to think this morning about, about just coming before our conductor, coming before Jesus, even now. And I want us to imagine him calling us into this beat one, this place where he recenters and refocuses, gives us rest, and then begins to build in us the anticipation of what is next. It's interesting that when Jesus says, come to me, the very next thing that he gives and offers is rest. That's just not the way I live. I work, I work, I work, I work, I work, I work, and then if there's enough time at the end of the week, maybe I get a little rest. Maybe, maybe not. But Jesus says, come to me and let me give you rest. Jesus begins with rest. And so here's, here's a question for us to consider this morning. If Jesus begins with rest, then why are so many Christians tired? What are we missing? How do we enter into this rest? Why aren't more believers experiencing this rest? In uh, the Gospel of Mark, there's a, a fascinating story. If you remember, Jesus takes the disciples and he sends them out into the world two by two. And he gives them gifts and he, to be able to cast out demons and heal the sick and do the things and the signs and the wonders that he has been doing in his ministry. He gives that to them. And so they're out there and they're doing this. And then when they come back in, in, in Mark chapter 6, they begin to report to Jesus all the great and marvelous things they did. They say, Jesus, it's just like you said. Even the demons were subject to us. And we were healed in your name. And just begin to, they're so jazzed, they're so excited to come back. It's like a bunch of guys coming back from a move trip, Dave. You're out there for two weeks and you're working day and night. And you see God do some incredible things. And you can't wait to get back and tell your family and your friends and your church about all the great marvelous things that God has done. In fact, those guys, I've been on these trips. You're ready to go the next day again to the next move trip. You're ready to sign up again. And so Jesus, when they come back, he doesn't high-five them. He doesn't celebrate with them. He doesn't begin planning the next missionary trip with them immediately. What does Jesus do? He immediately takes them and he takes them away to a quiet place, away from the people to give them rest, to restore them in the stillness and the knowing, to bring them back to beat one. Jesus is teaching the disciples an important rhythm between rest and work. Essentially, I hear Jesus saying this. Guys, I know this is really exciting stuff. And I'm so glad that you're discovering how amazing the kingdom of God is. 
But I need you guys for the entire game. I need you for all four quarters. This is an, a work of endurance. This is not a sprint. And as you faithfully have worked for me, now I invite you to come and rest with me. Nine times in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus separates himself from the crowds to be alone with his Father, to be restored in his stillness and knowing in his purpose and his mission as a man, to be encouraged and prepared. We see him in the desert after he's baptized for 40 days, being prepared for the work that God has called him to do. We see him in the garden praying. And he doesn't do this at the end of the day. When does he do this? Early, in the morning, first thing, before the work starts. Jesus rests first to prepare him for the work that God is calling him to do. This is beat one. This is where God restores us. He, this is where he readies us. I love the way the, uh, the message puts this verse in Matthew. It's on the screen. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that a beautiful way to put it? So, Don, is it too late to change my sermon title? I want to change it to Rhythms of Grace. I just, I just love that. Rhythms of Grace. These are God's rhythms of grace through Christ Jesus as we become his masterpiece and we join him in the work that he's doing. Under his direction, checking in regularly, daily, coming back to beat one so he can prepare us in unity and together in our diversity and in our callings to be a light to the world. That's the unforced rhythms of grace. So let me close with a couple of questions here. How are you experiencing his rest? Jesus has called us all to this rest. What are the regular rhythms in your own life, in your own week, in your own days, where you find this rest, where he recalibrates you to be one? I'm going to close with a prayer, and <clears throat> this is a prayer by St. Francis of Assisi. And uh, Daniel, I want to invite you to come up and, and begin playing. I've been praying this prayer every day for about the last two months or so, all because of our new pastor, Ryan Post. And this is in his book, and if you don't have this book, um, it's, it's amazing. And this is a tool that God has used to bring me back to beat one. And this prayer isn't a prayer that Pastor Ryan wrote. This is one of the classic prayers. It's one of those timeless prayers that the church has discovered long and long ago that keeps us in rhythm. In fact, I could imagine this, that if our symphony here this morning, if it had words, that this would be a great verse. This prayer embodies the Beatitudes that we've been studying for the last nine weeks. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and let me just uh, read these words and we'll make this our prayer here this morning. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. 
Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.